men. We find here as Joshua confronts the people that he begins with telling them of the power and the importance of specific things. And we get to verse 14, and the first thing that we find Joshua dealing with here is the position that God has not in the nation, not in relation to the nation of Israel, and he's not dealing here with the relation that God has with the world as a whole, but he's dealing here with the relationship that God has individually with everyone that he was speaking to at the time. As we get to verse number 14, he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord. And I want to just stop there for a moment and just say this, that he was speaking here on the very first part of his of his concluding his concluding marks of his ministry to the nation of Israel. He starts off by saying, "Folks, make sure that you understand the power and the importance of your worship of the Lord Jesus Christ or of God Himself, and the very fact that God is the God of Israel. So much so that later on, the nation of Israel said, He is our God." And the importance that God has His rightful place in the hearts of these people. Because the things that Joshua is going to address them on over the next several sentences in this, in this passage, it all hinges on God having His rightful place. We can deal with the other issues that are in this passage this morning here at Keith Heights Baptist Church. But can I tell you this as, our, as the pastor this morning, that if God does not have His rightful place in my heart, and if He does not have His rightful place in your heart, everything else that we find in this passage will be out of place. We find in Matthew chapter number 6, in verse number 33, we find the secret to the Christian life. And it's very simple. It really is. The truth is, if every Christian would learn this truth, I'd probably be out of a job. There wouldn't be a need for a pastor anymore, I don't think, to guide us and to direct us. But it simply says this, Seek ye first, what? Anybody remember it? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. That is the first thing. Remember when the lawyer came to Jesus in his earthly ministry and said, What is the greatest commandment of Scripture, the greatest one, the one that's at the very top. It's before the Ten Commandments. It's, it's, it's the top commandment that is given in Scripture. And the lawyer said, which is the greatest? And he said, the greatest commandment is that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. God is to be preeminent in our hearts and in our lives. And folks, let me just say this. If that is out of place, everything else in our Christian life will be out of place. If you can envision this morning, when you were a kid, a lot of us had bicycles. And the way that the wheels were designed on that bicycle, you had an outer rim and a tube and usually the tire itself on there. And it was held in the center of this axle by some spokes that went into a centerpiece and everything that happened on that wheel no matter what it was was dependent upon the very center part of that axle if that spoke started falling off of the axle and it couldn't support the outer part of the wheel it wasn't long before the wheel started flopping and shimmying and and moving around and all of a sudden uh, that wheel would not operate well it was out of balance and can I tell you this today, that the Lord Jesus Christ is our center of our wheel. He's the hub. He's the thing that every facet of our life attaches to. 
And when he's out of center, our entire life is out of order. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is the first part of the Christian life. And then what does the rest of the verse say? And all these things, he's saying everything else will be added unto you. What is the secret of the Christian life, Pastor? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Everything else will fall into place. But Brother Greg, I I can't do this in my... Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. But you just don't understand this area of my life I'm really struggling with. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Why? Because He must have the preeminence right here. I'm not saying He's got to have the preeminence of Keith the Heights Baptist Church. Because that lets us off the hook. He's got to have the preeminence in your heart. And if He has it in your heart, you can rest assured He'll have it at Keith the Heights Baptist Church. If He has it in your heart, you can rest assured that the rest of our life will be in balance. I've shared so many times before with people as they've come to counsel with problems in their lives. And one of the first questions I ever ask, and you can, uh, in fact, if anybody ever comes from our church to counsel with me and says, Brother Greg, I've got this problem in my life, I'll go ahead and give you the first session right now in church. The very first session I ever have with anybody when I'm counseling is, how is your walk with God? Because, folks, if that is not right, nothing else I say in those counseling sessions will matter. He must have the preeminence. And we live in a world that is quickly tearing down God, even in the hearts and in the minds of His own people. They're de-emphasizing the importance of the role that God has in a man's life. Our morals are not to be centered around God anymore, according to our society. It doesn't matter what God's Word says. What matters is, what does society think of it? In fact, they call some of the things we teach from God's Word that tell us what God thinks about things hate speech nowadays, don't they? The Bible says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. We're living in a world today that is intimidating God's people into the role of taking God out of their hearts as the preeminent thing and placing the acceptance of society in His place. I'm going to be this way, Brother Greg, and I'm going to believe this way because it's what society dictates that I believe. I don't want to be branded as an anti-anything. I don't want to be branded as somebody that, that doesn't like or doesn't have compassion for. Let me tell you something. God must have the preeminence in our hearts. And if He has the preeminence in our hearts, we'll have all the compassion and all the love that any man ever needs to have. But He must have His rightful place. And Joshua begins his charge to the nation of Israel with this thought. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. He must have his rightful place, the power of personal worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, can I tell you this this morning, and I'm not going to go out on a rabbit trail or a soapbox here, but I'm just going to say this in passing, and we're going to move on. Our worship in private is far more important 
than any worship in public is. You say, Brother Greg, we ought to have a praise and worship team on the platform. Wait a minute. How's our worship in our prayer closets? How's our worship in our personal lives? I think we ought to worship God when we come together as God's people. We ought to praise Him. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I am not discounting public worship. But I wonder how often we substitute our public worship and think we've done our job worshiping God. When the truth of the matter is He does not have preeminence in our life. That is our worship. To say, Lord, not only do you have the right because you created me to be preeminent in my life, but you are also worthy of my worship. Joshua comes to the nation of Israel and he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him. And I want you to notice secondly, the power of personal service. And can I tell you this? It's not very long after God gets His rightful place in our hearts that we begin to have a desire to serve Him. I've said this so often because I was uh, trained in, in some Bible colleges that, to be honest with you, the emphasis, whether intentionally or by mistake, uh, was on service first. And it didn't matter what your personal walk with God was. At least it seemed to be de-emphasized and the emphasis placed more on what we did than what we were inwardly. But I found this over the years in ministry that when my heart is at the closest to the Lord, I have more of a desire to serve. But when I make the emphasis on serving God and that being the priority of my life and my heart is not where it needs to be, then my service at best becomes something that I do out of obligation and there's a disgruntledness and a frustration that comes in serving God. I don't have joy in serving Him because the heart is not where it needs to be. But can I tell you this, that when He has His rightful place, when He is preeminent in our hearts and in our lives... When our walk with God is the main thing that we focus on in our life, then it's not very long before service follows. Because now we are not serving out of duty or obligation or obedience. We're now serving out of love. How many of you have kids or grandkids? Christmas time comes, how many of you buy them a Christmas gift? How many of you do it because you have to and you just hate having to buy a Christmas gift for your grandkid or your child? How many of you do it because you love them to death and you want to do something? Isn't that a lot? You go to, you go to oh, I hate to even say this, you go to a place like Walmart. Ugh. You go to Walmart. You walk in there at Christmas time and you fight the crowds. And you pull the rest of what hair you have left out. And you have to drive for an hour to find a parking spot. And then you have to walk two miles to get to the front door. And I'm sure in the back of your minds, you're like, oh, I hate this. And why do we do that? Why do we go through it? It's not because some little three-year-old kid or child or grandchild is making us obey him to get him a gift. It's because we love him. And we endure that. Sad to say, there's some people sitting here today that actually enjoy that. But they endure that because they love their kids and their grandkids. Can I tell you this? How often do we look at service to God as something that I have to do? 
How often do we look at it and say, I, I, don't, I don't like that at all. It, it, man, it just really wears on me. Only if we're doing it because we have to. <laughs> my kids, my kids many times, and I, I, they're not here today, so I can use them as a personal illustration. But uh, my kids, sometimes I'll tell them, hey, I need you to do a chore around the house. And their question from time to time is, do I have to? And with a big grin on my face, I say, no, you get to. Because I want them to realize that they're not doing it because they have to obey. They ought to be doing it because they love Dad. And because Dad just asked them to do it. And it's easy for me as a parent to do that with my kids. But I don't like being on the other side of that sometimes. When I know God wants me to do something and I look at it and I'll be like, Lord, do I have to? And I can almost see Him looking over the banister of heaven saying, No, Greg, you get to. That's the way it ought to be, by the way. When He has His rightful place in our hearts, service is not something we do that is grievous to us. It's something that we do because we love Him. The power of personal worship, the power of personal service. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods of your fathers, serve on the other side of the flood in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. It's not hard to serve God when He has the preeminence in our life. Then I want you to notice lastly in verse number 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the last thing that I believe Joshua teaches the nation of Israel here is the power of personal example. The power of personal example. We were talking a little bit this morning about how children so easily and quickly see through to the intent and the motives of an adult. They seem to kind of catch an awful lot from us, don't they? I heard a fellow say it this way one time, they catch a whole lot more than we ever teach them just by watching our example. I've seen parents that didn't live their life very well the way that it ought to be and then wondered when their kids got older why their kids went a certain way. I taught them right, Brother Greg. But how'd you live? How was your example? Somebody wrote years ago a little poem that says, Isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that caper in sawdust rings, and common folks like you and me are builders for eternity. To each is given a bag of tools, a shapeless mass, and a book of rules. And each must make, ere life is flown, a stumbling block or a stepping stone. I wonder with our lives, what are we creating 
The Bible teaches clearly in the New Testament that the elder women are to instruct the younger women in the church. The elder men are to instruct and to be mentors to the younger men in the church. The power of personal testimony and exampleship. Joshua said, there's some things I want to leave with you. He said, make sure that you fear the Lord. That's paramount. He said, make sure that you serve the Lord. And he said, above all else, no matter what you guys think you ought to do, I want you to see my example and the example of my family. That as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The power of personal example. We are a city that is set on a hill. Somebody is going to see our life, whether we want to be or not. If you claim the name of Christ, if you say, I am a Christian, rest assured people are watching you. What are they seeing? Well, it's just that old Irish temper. (laughs) Doesn't have anything. Well, you know how they say redheads. They're just fiery. Well, no. How are we living? Well, I, I know I let some of those words slip, and that joke wasn't the best joke to be telling in mixed company. Well, how's your testimony? How's your exampleship? Well, I, I, you know, it was in the privacy of my own home. We watched that show on television. You know, I, your kids are watching this stuff. They're seeing you. How's your personal exampleship? Joshua said it's important. These are the last things he's instructing the nation of Israel. Very, very important. He gets done speaking, and I love this. In verse 14 and follow, or 16 and following, the people respond to him. They get down to verse number 18, and they say, Therefore, will we also serve the Lord? And this is the key to the whole statement. For he is. What's the next word? Our God. Can I share something with you and we'll close? This is the second closing, Brother Larry. There is a danger when raising children and even dealing with your own grandchildren of what I heard one preacher say it this way, Christianizing the outside you teach them to walk the walk and talk the talk outwardly. Jesus, in talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, he called them hypocrites because he said outwardly they were clean, but inwardly they were full of dead men's bones. He never condemned the Pharisees for what they were outwardly. You won't find it in Scripture. In fact, he commends them often for what they were outwardly. But he always condemned them for what they were inwardly. And there's a danger that we can raise children and even grandchildren 
They say, boy, my grandparents' God. My mom and dad's God. Boy, he is something else. I even hear, and I cringe sometimes when I hear this. Boy, my, my grandparents, they were prayer warriors. Well, wait a minute. Why don't we say my grandparents showed me how to be a prayer warrior and it caused me to be a prayer warrior? At some point, he's got to change from being the God of my mom and dad. He's got to change from being the God of my grandma and grandpa to being my God. I serve God now because He's my God. I serve Him and live for Him now and strive to have a testimony now not because He was the God of my mom and dad but because He was my God. I'm going to tell you something. Growing up in a pastor's home, that was hard to discern between the two. Because I'm going to tell you, at the age of 13, God had to reach down into the depths of this wicked, ungodly life that I lived where I didn't do anything because mom and dad wouldn't let me. There wasn't a whole lot of dirty living or down in the gutters of my life. And it took a long time for me to realize that God had to save me from the same hell He had to save any derelict from. And that He was my God. He wasn't my mom and dad's God. He was mine. And there's a danger of in our lives if He does not have the preeminence, if it does not cause us to serve Him out of a love for Him, and if we don't understand the importance and the power of our personal example, there's a danger of raising a generation of people who know that God exists, but they believe Him to be the God of their parents, the God of their grandparents, the God of their ancestors, but He's not their God. And we whitewash and we Christianize a bunch of empty, hollow young people who outwardly have a form of godliness, but inwardly deny the power thereof. They don't, they don't have Him as their God. Can I tell you this, having said all that, it can happen in any one of our lives the same way. I've been raised in church my whole life, Brother Greg. That's why I come. I'm, I don't miss a service unless I have to. Is He your God? Why do you come to church? You come so everybody can see you come to church? Do you come because you're afraid somebody's going to be disappointed if you don't? Or is He your God? Joshua made all these statements and the people said, The Lord, He is our God. He is our God. Let's stand together. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. I pray that You'll bless it and use it. Lord, the message has been this morning primarily for... Uh, those that are already saved, those that have trusted you as their Savior. But, Lord, we don't want to end a service without giving opportunity if there's someone in this service that does not know if they died right now that they would go to heaven. They may be believing and trusting in an awful lot of things. Maybe their good life that they've lived. Maybe their church attendance. Maybe their baptism. Maybe their family upbringing. But, Lord, if they've not placed their faith and trust in you and you alone, then, Lord, they're not saved this morning. They need to get that settled. 
I pray cause them to be under conviction and to have the desire to come forward during the invitation time and let us take your word and show them how they can be saved this morning. Father, for Christians that are here today, I pray that you would help us to make certain that you have the proper place in our lives. Lord, everything else hinges on that. Our service, our exampleship, those things that we live our life doing, all hinge on God having His rightful place. Lord, help us this morning to look into our hearts and ask that question. Do you have your rightful place in my life? And if not, I pray that you'd help us to get that matter settled this morning. Rededicating of ourselves and saying, Lord, I want you to have the preeminence. I want you to have the first place. I want you to be the center of my life. I pray that you would speak to hearts as you would see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. We'll have the piano and organ play through just a hymn or two of invitation. If God's spoken to you,